Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. So we're going to be in Judges uh, chapter 6. I'm going to go through ver- verses 1 to 40. Uh, it'll be on the screen. And um, if you want to flip open, you can. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 to 40. Starting with verse 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites whose lands you live, in whose lands you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty valiant warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midianites, or the hands of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, Give me a sign that it really is you who are talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. 19. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, Place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. 
Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abizarites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of his height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by the morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal. That day saying, and it means let Baal contend with him. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord came unto Gideon and said, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebul, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, if you, have, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wolf fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all, my, all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and the, let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. So now let's talk about the oppression of the Israelites. The Lord saw that the Israelites did evil for seven years. Because of this, he gave them over to the invasions of the Midianites. They were so oppressive that they drove the Israelites into the caves and mountains. Whenever the Israelites would plant their crops, the Midianites, with their large numbers and war camels, plundered and destroyed all that the Israel planted and grew. It's kind of funny, isn't it? War camels? That's hard for me to imagine, but there it happened. It's historical. Just as God warned, the Israelites were influenced by the pagan nations around them. They did evil in his sight and when forced back to the bondage he had already delivered them from. 
How often do we do this? This is a reminder of how we always go back to our sin. Always falling, coming up short, coming back and forth. You know, it's kind of, um, you know, telling of our spiritual battles that, that we kind of deal with. But God instructs us for our benefit. When he rebukes or admonishes us, he does so out of love, desiring that we return to him, who is, he is who is our source of life. Hebrews 12, chapter 5, verses 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what is son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjugation to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's safe to say that not a believer alive today has avoided those desert times in our lives. Amen? We can all say that, right? Who hasn't? I know I have. There are time, those desert times when we just didn't feel the presence of God. We've had those. It's a problem that all of us have to confront at some point along the way. Now, in regards to modern times, we are not currently and physically oppressed by the Midianites, but we can and most certainly are capable of feeling distant from God. Many factors can make us feel distant from our Heavenly Father. Sometimes it's a matter of the accuser, Satan, our enemy. The evil can whisper in our ears and speak of his deception. The devil, the evil one. Other times, these distant times turn out to be seasons when God is trying to bring us closer to himself. But sometimes, it's a matter of need for some inner house cleaning. And by house cleaning, I mean cleansing ourselves from within. You know, we need to have, Hebrews 4 talks about that the word of God is a double-edged sword. And we need that to cut, sometimes, cut the marrow in us to kind of cut out and get rid of all all the gunk, if you will. Nothing can make us feel more distant from God than unconfessed sin. While our failure does not affect God's unconditional love for us, our sin and failures can drive an emotional and spiritual wedge between us and Him. Throughout the book of Judges, we read how the nation of Israel sinned and drifted in its devotion to the Lord. Many times, when our hearts become entangled with disobedience and the things of this world, God will allow us to experience a feeling of distance between him and us. 
This is exactly what Israel should have felt in those dark days. The people should have recognized their spiritual poverty. Instead, they continued to worship Baal without regard for the holy nature of God and his intimate love for them. Therefore, he allowed them to go through a time of testing. And testing is important. We may not like it. It may, may, not hard, it may be hard. But it's important. So I hope you guys can take that with you. So going back to Judges 6.6, 6, we read that Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Here we see a work, an important principle regarding repentance and a, a longing to reconnect with the Lord. When we realize our error and cry out to the Lord, he turns in our direction. He never comes, however, being as if, he never comes, however, being as if being summoned by a superior. He comes when our hearts have been broken and at last we realize our need for him. In other words, when the people repent, God sends the rescuer. Amen? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are experiencing times of spiritual dryness in your relationship with God, don't hesitate to turn to him in prayer. Confess any known sin and ask him to restore the sweetness of his fellowship to your heart. Now, make no mistake, the storms of life will assail us. Make no mistake about it. We may be tempted to believe that God has abandoned us, but I got news for you. That's the enemy, and he's lying to you. But he never will. God never will abandon us. Instead, he may be making a surprise visit, revealing an aspect of himself through the trial that we could never have known otherwise. So let me read that again. He may be making a surprise visit, revealing an aspect of himself through the trial that we could never have known otherwise. Isaiah chapter 30, verses, uh, verse 18. I'm sorry, 18 to 20. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. And I feel like that verse goes back to when we're chastised by the Lord. We will see our teachers and see what they're doing. It's always in that moment where we don't know, is this right? Is this not right? Am I, you know, am I progressing? But the Lord knows. The greatest of all teachers, he knows. 
The secret to our salvation is simple and it remains the same throughout the Bible, the presence of God. When he is with us, or more accurately, when we are with him, success naturally follows. Now, point number two. Raise your hand if you ever heard the term scorched earth policy. Who are my history buffs out there? Now, speaking about how the Midianites invaded and harassed the Israelites, this is a war strategy and it's nothing new. Throughout antiquity, we have a wide array of different war tactics. Okay, in regards to the Midianites harassing Israel, okay, this is known as scorched earth. Now, Julius Caesar, in his own written account of his invasion of the country Gaul, written as the Gaelic Wars, he writes about the Gaelic leader whose name is Vercingetorix. Hold on, let me say that again because it's tough, even for me. Vercingetorix. You guys got it. It's a long French Celtic name. So Vercingetorix is speaking. For the sake of the common survival, the comfort of personal property should be considered unimportant. Villages and farm buildings should be burned and in this area in all directions as far as the enemy would be able to seek forage and grain. Our goal must devote ourselves to every viable method to achieving one thing, which was to keep the Romans from foraging and gathering supplies. And this is in the Gaelic Wars, chapter 7, verse 14, for all my history people out there. Okay? So, scorched earth is nothing new. Throughout time, you know, you have the enemy coming in, we're going to burn everything. Of course, it has a double-edged meaning that if you burn, you're also affected. But this is like a last-ditch kind of thing. And I believe that that's what the Israelites were going through through the Midianites. They were just burning and pillaging everything. Burning, um, cattle, every, you name it. Just uprooting the entire ground. So that kind of gives you an idea of what they, uh, they were going through. Okay, point number three. Baal and the Asheroth pole in ancient antiquity. Now, going back to Judges... We, we, we talk about how God commanded uh, Gideon to destroy these monuments. So what are they? Where are they from? Why should we care? Of all the pagan gods in Canaan, the Israelites were most drawn to Baal. Gideon's family has been devoted followers of the God. And actually, if you can put up the picture for, um, I believe it's number two. You probably have seen this picture before. Um, it's a, it's very, very reminiscent. Well, well, real quick, Caesar Vercingetorix. This is a very famous, um, picture of him try definitely, um, surrendering to Caesar. I kind of just threw that in there to give you guys some context because they didn't have photographs, but this one, thank you. So this is Baal. We all know this from the old Testament. Okay. We know, we know all the, in the book of judges. We know all about the problems with it. This is more the, I guess you would call it the famous picture of what this is. Uh, next slide, please. This is the Asherah pole. Okay. Now, so when Gideon turned to worship God as the one true God, he broke with the family tradition. In Hebrew, Baal is the title of Lord. This title was given to the storm god Hadad, who is widely known from Syria, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia and Egypt. Okay? Actually, I'm going to jump real quick here. Let me talk about the Asherah pole. So as you can see, 
This is Gideon chopping it down. Now, an Asherah pole is a sacred tree or pole that stood near Canaanite religious locations. It was built and carved to honor the mother goddess Asherah, the wife of the pagan god El. Essentially, the angel of the Lord was commanding Gideon to dismantle and destroy the false idols of these pagan gods. So the Asherah pole was this, this um, pagan, divine, feminine kind of goddess. And she was married to the god El. So this is all over ancient Canaan. There's so many um, examples of these, these false idols and these false gods and these demonic presence all over the East. You know, not, not to, this is probably a bad example, but I'm just going to say it. But if you ever um, watch that movie, The Exorcist, in the very beginning, he goes to the desert and he pulls out um, the statue and it's like an ancient um, Iranian god, which is supposed to be the one that possesses the girl. But that's all over the East in ancient times. And you can see why the Jews would fight against this. And you can see why God went to his people to stop them from falling into those things. And I have to be honest with you, today, there are a lot of wicked spirits out there. It's almost like we're replaying old, the Old Testament in certain ways. Amen? Now, uh, going back to Baal, and going back to uh, uh, Gideon's kind of... Um, Dealing with that, he, uh, we have inscriptions dating back to the 3rd millennium B.C. As far as, for, as, far as Baal and, and this Asherah pole. So that's 3000 to 2001 B.C. And it's considered the early Middle Age, the Bronze Age. So to give you some perspective, um, that's like early Greek, um, Persian, Iranian. That, that's the, the kind of area that's where it is. And this has been all the way up to the last century B.C. So from 3,000 to uh, the last century, we're talking about a good at least 3,000 years. Baal came to be understood as the god of storms. Okay? So check out the area. So you have these areas, these pagan areas, where they have this entire situation. Okay? Since Baal brought rain, he was also credited with bringing the annual crops, which were dependent on the rain. The rain and crops were so important that, they, that many sites devoted to the worship of Baal each using the local version of the God's name, okay? So you have this setting where you have um, whatever it is in the, in the town square, and then you have these, these whole things that are worshiping Baal, and they're worshiping the, uh, the Asherah pole, and, and they're so dependent on it because it brought the rain. So he, was the, he was the pink god of rain, and, and in those areas, you needed the crops. Um, so it was an incentive for them, although wrong, it was an incentive for them as to why they worshiped um, but for them, it was, it was very, very like wicked, natural things. Now, let's jump down to the Lord visits Gideon. The Lord's estimation of us as people differs from our own way we see ourselves. Okay? So we see ourselves a certain way. We're also our, our worst critic. I'm sure you've all heard that before. But God saw Gideon as a mighty man of valor and warrior. Because he knew what he was going to accomplish through him. Gideon saw himself as weak and little because of his focus was on his circumstances rather, on the, uh, rather than on the Lord. Now, pause for a minute. I see a lot of that. Do you guys see that too? Everybody's focused on their circumstances and, and, and what they can and can't do. You know what I mean? It's, 
It's very, very materialistic and it's very, very, it's just, it's just negative, you know? And I'll be honest with you. I, I struggle with stuff like that. Like, like, like what is for me, what is the, um, what is the balance between waiting on the Lord and then doing for the Lord? You know, that's a struggle of mine. And I think, you know, when we're inundated with all this stuff, all this messaging, it's very hard sometimes to, to make, you know, heads or tails of it, which is all the more reason to run back to the Lord, run back to your Bible. So since Gideon saw himself in those terms, you know, it was a problem. And I think that contributed to um, his lack of faith at the time. But when we believe God and depend on him to empower us, we become who, we, who he says we are. His beloved children through him who overcomes the world. Adversity reveals strengths and weaknesses. When adversity strikes, we discover the depth of our spiritual character. Okay? Can anybody attest to that? When adversity strikes, we discover the depth of our spiritual character. Perhaps you've said this in the aftermath of a hardship before this happened. Before this happened, I never would have thought I could deal with something like this. Gideon had that type of understanding. When the angel of the Lord said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor, Gideon automatically responded, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? The Lord has forsaken us and his people as weak and unworthy. The Lord replied as if he didn't hear him. Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So think about that. So here's Gideon like, oh, Lord, oh, but really, are you sure? Like, whatever. And then God's not even talking to me. He's like, go, I'm sending you. This is what I want you to do for me. Again, Gideon replied with an extremely low view of himself. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. Once more, the Lord encouraged his servant. Surely I will be with you. And you will defeat the Midianites as one man. Brothers and sisters, remember, when the Lord calls you strong, don't call yourself weak. When the Lord says you are forgiven, don't dwell on your, on your sins, on or in your sins. When the Lord says you are righteous, don't see yourself as guilty. And I, I feel like we all struggle with that. We all deal with that. Amen? Because it's the devil, right? He just knows how to whisper in your ear. Okay, I actually was, it's a funny story. Uh, Pastor Paul was helping me with his mic because it's always, every time that I do this, it's always a problem. It's okay now, praise the Lord. And we're talking about how the devil will take the littlest things and he'll, and he'll twist that, okay? You might be late here, you know, you might have a trip up here, up into the, to the point of when we're preaching to the people, when we're giving the message to the people, you know? And it's just, it's funny how he'll do that. He'll either go after the small thing or he'll realize the areas of your life that need work, need spiritual guidance from the Lord. 
And let's say you kind of plug that hole, right? You say, okay, no, that's done. That door's closed. I'm good there. He says, no problem. I'm going to go to the other thing. So let's say you have three, let's say in your time of prayer, you say, oh, I've got, these are things I have to work on, Lord. And you know, you know yourself. The, the, The devil's like, yeah, you got that one. You're good here in this season, but I'm going to get you in this season which is why we have to be so, so on our our guard. Never try to cope with adversity on your own, apart from God. That's also very important. You need him, his wisdom, and his strength. We can do very little to help ourselves. We need his ability of every hour, every day of every year. And he is our ever-present help. Psalm 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our strength lies in the Lord and not in ourselves. There is no comparison between the ability of God and of human ability. He is infinite and we are finite. When we rely on the Lord, we have access to his unlimited power and wisdom, and therefore we will not end up as failures. And that's what I want you to, to take. Remember, We would say to ourselves a certain thing. The devil says to ourselves a certain thing, but God has the ultimate authority and the last word. And what he says is what matters. When we attempt to rely on ourselves, we usually fail miserably and often suffer even more adversity. And don't make that mistake. When the spirit of the living God fills us, impossibilities become possible. As believers, we are permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy verse one, chapter seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Our circumstances convey confirmation. Now, sometimes God uses natural phenomena to confirm his guidance. Gideon provides a notable example of this. Again, just as before, unsure that he heard God clearly and feeling more than a little fearful, Gideon asked the Lord to confirm his instructions, so one evening he laid out a fleece and asked God to make it soaking wet by the following morning. While the ground around it remained dry, and that's what happened. Still unsure, he asked for a fleece to remain dry in the midst of a wet grass. Again, God granted his request. Now, while no other one should ever stipulate to the way, the means, or the method that God confirms his promises, we can ask him to make his will clear for us, but we just leave the methodology up to him, trusting him and taking him at his word. Perhaps we are faced with a fearful situation. If so, consider Gideon's battle plan. Be humble in your weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7, I mean chapter 7, verse 10. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure, concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, 
I rather boast in my infirmities, and the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Number two, Gideon's uh, battle plan. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Number three, step out in obedience. Who struggles with that? I'm going to raise my hand. It's just so hard, right? It's just like, you know, and sometimes it's not even like, you know, God doesn't ask us to move mountains right away. You know, in my spiritual walk, one thing I find myself over and over and over again is you have the the will of God, God's philosophy, or you have pagan philosophy. Are we Atlas where we have the boulder on our neck just trying to keep up? Or are we saying to God, here's the boulder. I can't, I can't do without you. You hold it up, Lord. So why Atlas, okay, has the boulder on his neck and he's struggling. God has it in his hand like this and he's holding it above his head. Which one do you want? I think it's pretty obvious. Number four, take others with you. We're a team. We are, quote-unquote, the mighty men. Notice the Lord didn't answer Gideon's why question. He simply challenged a feeble farmer to become a mighty hero. When Gideon was saying, why, 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 Lord? Why? He just said, go. I chose you. Luke one thirty-seven. For nothing is impossible with God. Now, as I did my research for this sermon, I came across some arguments against what Gideon did. Some of the arguments were, why did Gideon test God? Or why did he demand the terms of conditions? And why didn't he just trust God? These are all reasonable arguments, but in my opinion, I don't think that was the case at all. I don't think he did any of those things. I think Gideon was just unsure of himself. He had been asked to do a mighty task, trying to cope and wrap his head around it. I think God knew his heart, and that's important. And he was patient with him, and he worked with him, and encouraged him. He pushed him to do great things. And this is what Heavenly Father does as the great teacher. And if you ever research the hero's journey, one of the steps is the hero refuses the call for whatever reason. All the great heroes throughout history have refused the call. Until he doesn't refuse, and he follows through, and he becomes the hero he's supposed to be. And guess what? Gideon eventually follows through, because he becomes a mighty warrior and does exactly what God commanded him to do. And I can say amen to that. Now, who's read The Cross and the Switchblade? I'm going through it now as we speak. So one of the greatest uh, modern examples of the Gideon prayer comes from the book, The Cross and Switchblade, written by David Wilkerson. In the beginning of the book, he describes his life as predictable but peaceful. He further describes his first commission as a preacher in a small country town in need of the help of a new pastor. At first, the visit was less than pleasant as he and his wife were surveying the property. 
His wife's foot fell right through the house floor. To make matters even worse, there, there were a large amount of cockroaches. Ew. Ew. About seven or eight of them as she opened the kitchen drawer. Understandably, this was a major no-no for the wife of a preacher. These people need help, is, is what David said. But there are areas that have been clearly unattended. Gwen, the preacher's wife, was deathly afraid of cockroaches. She ran and waited inside the only hotel in town. Can't say I blame her. I wonder how big they were. Do you think they were little ones? Do you think they were massive ones? I don't know. I figure if they're bigger, it'd be more of a reason not to, to stick around. It's all for the story. It's all for the story. If Gwen had it her way, they would have left right then and there. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, Pastor Wilkerson had to preach that, that night, so leaving right away wasn't an option. As Wilkerson was wrapping up his sermon, he recalls how he couldn't remember if it was a good sermon or not. Somehow it must have resonated with the congregation because right then and there, they asked him to be the pastor of their small farm church. As Wilkerson went to his car, he could feel the cold demeanor coming from his wife who was waiting for him. Could you imagine that? She's probably like this. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Can't blame her. I can't blame her at all. So, as she was waiting for him, she was ready to leave. He explained to her that we need, the, we need the help and they need the help and that we should pray together, to which Gwen replied, make sure you ask him about those cockroaches. <laughs> so Wilkerson's prayer was to ask God for a sign that there were, that's where the, he wanted them to be, just as Gideon did in the book of Judges with the fleece. Lord, he said aloud, I would like to put a fleece before you now. Here we are, ready to do your will, if we can just find out what that, what that is. Lord, if you want us to stay in Phillipsburg, we ask that you let us know by having a committee vote unanimously and let them desire of their own accord to fix up the parsonage. Parsonage. It's a tough word. It's almost as bad as Vercentedrix. Anyway. With a decent refrigerator and a stove. And Lord, said Gwen abruptly, let them volunteer to get rid of those cockroaches. As they were finishing up their prayer, the door of the church swung open and the whole congregation, as well as the leaders, came up to join them. The whole church voted unanimously that they wanted David Wilkerson to be their pastor. And they even agreed to fix up the parsonages, parsonage, especially to get rid of the, especially get rid of the cockroaches. So praise God, Gwen, you got your answered prayer. No more cockroaches. So what are some takeaways from this prayer? One, just as Gideon spoke with God, Wilkerson's prayer was very similar, relying on detailed requests to the Lord. Since the requests were met in detail, that means the Lord heard, followed through, and gave them a sign that is exactly what he wanted them to do. Number three, the power of prayer, followed by God's divine follow-through, is made known here. Now, another example. Again, with David Wilkerson. After a few years go by, the church started to gain momentum and grow. Wilkerson describes how although he was happy, discontentment started to grow in him. And th that's natural, right? People 
they they feel these things. They can they they can all, they feel like they have everything together, but that something isn't right. It, it happens. He recalls after growth and more people come to the church and a growing ministry budget, something just didn't feel right. What was bothering David Wilkerson? I would like to know. He remembers the date exactly, February 9th, 1958. He decided to sell, sell his TV set. Now, in most matters, this may seem like a small detail, but for our story, it changes everything. And remember the date, February 9th, 1958. It wasn't yesterday. It was a long time ago. Wilkerson recalls flipping through the channels late one night, watching the, the Tonight Show. He says that the show was mundane, just uninteresting. He turns off the TV, goes into his office and says, how much time do I spend in front of that screen every night? A couple of hours at least? What if I sold that TV set and spent those two hours praying instead? After all, I am the only one who watches TV anyway. Now, one of the reasons why he kept the television set was because TV now became a part of the American culture. It was not good that the pastor be out of touch with what was happening in the world. Nevertheless, he decided to sell the TV and devote those two hours to prayer. After he turned out the lights, he looked out into the moonlit night and put out another fleece to the Lord. He even admitted that he was making it harder for the Lord because he didn't want to give up the TV. He decides that he is going to put an ad in the paper for the television. If someone will come and buy the television set within an hour, he will know that it is God's will. Now, after telling his wife about this idea, Gwen, being ever so candid and a straight shooter in the relationship, said to him, hold on, I'm going to do it. Hang on. Wow, David, it sounds like you don't want to get, do all that praying. I, I can just play it in my head. It's probably what it is. You know, with the foot, like, you know, you went with the foot, you're like this. Wow, David. That's how I see it in my head. And guess what? The Lord showed up because in exactly 29 minutes, someone called to buy the TV set. I could say a big amen to that. Wilkerson says that his life never was the same. Instead of flipping channels, he would go into his office, close the door, and pray for two hours a night from 12 to 2. Now, I'm sure we all can benefit that. I'm not saying you guys should sell your TV. But I will suggest that we get to use, use of this Christian life of working with less and spending more time with the Lord. Somebody sent me this. This is why I know the Lord is speaking to, to here tonight. Somebody sent me a, um, a video about, of David Wilkerson, like a seven-minute video. I didn't tell him that I was doing anything on the cross and the switchblade. and talks about how, you know, God wants that intimate relationship with you. He's longing for that, you know? But... Don't forget him. And it was very, very powerful. And so if you give up on certain things, especially TV, and you spend more time with the Lord, it's nothing but benefit. I mean, I can't really say any more than that. It's what do you have to lose besides getting better, getting stronger, getting your spiritual fitness in? Now, point number five. The angel of the Lord that visits Gideon is Christ. The two uses of the word Lord in this passage are illustrative of the supreme worth of God alone. 
Gideon's first referred to the angel of God as my Lord. This usage indicates a polite address to a person worthy of respect. When Gideon speaks of God, he referred to him as the Lord. This title declares a personal name of God. We know as Yahweh. Which was the name of God used when speaking to Moses? When the Israelites spoke of Yahweh, they were referring to the nature and character of the one who had called them to himself and executed marvelous acts to deliver them and give them a a land. He was also the God who they sinned against, yet he provided them with a means of fellowship to himself. By the way, this just hit me right now though, but how many times do we have to sin against God and he keeps on forgiving us? I mean, just think about that. Every time we mess up, we mess up, we mess up, we mess up. He's still there. Knock and you will find. You know, Adam and Eve sit in the garden. What does he do? He gets the animal skins. Cain kills his, uh, his brother. He says, Lord, do not leave me astray. What does he do? He puts a mark on him. He sends him, but he says he has a protection. I mean, that just blows my mind. How many times do we offend God? And how many times does he come back with love correction yes but love nevertheless amen now god is not merely a person worthy of respect but he is the one who whom all we all owe their ultimate allegiance so jesus embodies the title of the lord in his earthly ministry substitutionary death and victorious resurrection as a ruler of all creation he is to be preeminent in all things including every facet of the, of the lives of his children. Christ is the angel of the Lord. How do we know? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And with that, I leave you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact 
at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.